I'm, I'm ready for this, I promise you. So, my name is Eric Gross, and I am a sinner saved by grace. And this is the 10th year of that saving grace, or saving faith in Christ. Now, I could go year by year with you. I could actually probably even go month by month with you and tell you about what a wild journey the last 10 years have been in comparison to the first 35 years, which were a pretty wild journey too in their own right. I mean, growing up, you know, and going to college, school, everything, starting a family, having kids, work, obligations, things like that. But it was first 35 years, pale in comparison to the last 10 years. For the last 10 years, I've had more fullness of life than I would say the first 35 in, in their entirety, which doesn't seem right because a lot had happened in those first 35 years, right? But knowing Christ and having Jesus change my life, it's eye-opening, it's revealing. I'm a new person. Things have changed. From A to Z, they've changed. And I can't deny it, one little bit, that they've changed. Even my family can't deny it. My mom's like, who is this guy? The fact he gets up and talks to people every week and the fact that, you know, many other things that, that I do now that she's like, that's not the shy little boy that I remember growing up by any stretch of the imagination. And so that's just one thing. There's tons of things. You guys might not believe this, but this is probably one of the most shocking things is I used to hate having people over at my house. I was not hospitable in the slightest. I was like, why do I want these mooches coming over, eating and drinking myself? No joke, you can ask my wife. Yep. And she's the one who And so, certainly, some changes. But the reason I tell you all this is because the, the faith that I have in the reality of the truth that is Jesus is indeed very impactful. It is a new life in Christ. Amy and Dan are experiencing this now. Uh, Ellen, Jan, Frank, everybody that's been baptized. Gabby too. It's different. It's very different. But you're symbolically dying yourself and you're being raised in Christ. And so this sermon today is going to offend people. Yes. Right? <laughs> Especially that guy in the corner of the booth. He's going to be offended. But the reason why this should not be offensive is because those that are in Christ realize that Jesus changes lives. The reality of the truth and building from the past two weeks, because two weeks ago we talked about Christ's transformational truth. I didn't make anything up there. It's absolutely transformational truth. It's a worldview. It is the, the meaning of life. This Bible, the Word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. And he hasn't hidden anything, and he hasn't sugarcoated anything. He's just laid it out there. But we're a little sensitive. We don't necessarily like how it's just laid out there in truth. That's your truth, not my truth, you try to say. But there has to be an objective truth, not just subjective truth to whatever you want truth to be. We're all entitled to an opinion. But we're not all entitled to our own truth. And so some people get that, some people don't. 
And last week, we talked about Christ's countercultural nature and how different he is from the rest of the world and how the world operates. And so today, it culminates in what is probably one of the most controversial sections of Scripture, where he says, faith without works is dead. It's just a misunderstanding. It's not that my works are earning me righteousness, but because Jesus has radically changed my life, my works are deeds out of love, not out of law. And so, keep that in mind, necessarily this morning as we go through this, but no, my heart has always been Jesus changes lives. You need to hear his truth the way that it is. And a lot of people don't. And a lot of people, even when they do, don't get the blessings that we have been blessed with to be in his church. This is like an extracurricular for some people. This is the meaning of life. It's not an extracurricular. It is the reason you're here. It's the reason you breathe every day. It's the reason you get up in the morning. It's not an extracurricular. And so, I might sound like a jerk <laughs> in some of this. I promise you, I don't want to be a jerk. I want to show you the love of Christ because this is big deal. In fact, it is the deal. It is your life and mine. Dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in my life, especially those that I fail to see. And certainly, Lord, in this moment as we approach your word, I just ask you to tune our hearts and our minds to your will. Convict us by the Spirit, and certainly let us not fall into condemnation all the time. But in all of this, Lord Jesus, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Passionate. <laughs> awesome. So our text today, as Chris said, um, in the, the Bible's in front of you. It's eleven fourteen, but uh, it's James chapter two, verses fourteen through twenty-six, and it reads as such: What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And I agree with it. That faith apart from works is dead. So, very simply though, this overarching thing, certainly James, we talked about this being like the New Testament book of Proverbs. This is practical information for day-to-day -day life. As well as we know that this is a letter that James wrote to the tribes in the dispersion. So those were primarily of Jewish background and of Jewish descent. And so there's naturally always a clash. And in the beginning of this, I want you to know that that word works is not works of the law. And it actually means deeds acted out in love or in righteousness. They're very different, what the Apostle Paul says and what James says here as well. And so, in the very first section, in the first point, being those first uh, four verses, he just lays out the argument. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So, part of the new life in Christ, and as I laid it out in the point, is that we need to acknowledge and we need to understand that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. If he came down as Lord and he lorded his lordship all over everybody, made us all bend the knee, made us all bow in respect, made us all act in obedience, rather than to show us love and give us that olive branch. If he had done that, that would be a different story. But he didn't do that. He came to serve. And so, we, as a group, have been going through Mark, and we're eventually going to get this, but it says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, that Jesus called to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great leaders exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, if Jesus says that, and if Jesus came to serve, and if we have new life in Christ, not next to, not behind, not in front, but in Christ, would we not serve as well? Is that not a logical type of conclusion that if Jesus came to serve and we're found in Christ and we have been redeemed by his blood, which means we have been bought back by the slavery of sin? Would that not mean that we serve our Lord? And if our, our Lord served other people, would we not ultimately serve other people? I would like to think the answer is yes. And logic would say that the answer is yes. Much like a proverb and tip of wisdom literature that this says yes. Now, in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, as we've been going through in our group, I took a few notes, and in this first chapter alone, 
Jesus was baptized. He started his ministry. He called the disciples. He healed people. He rebuked people. He loved people. He preached to the people. He traveled for the people. He cast out demons in the people. He cleansed lepers. And he spoke with people. All in all. What a selfish jerk. <laughs> Far from, right? This, none of these things, aside from the baptism, which really wasn't even a baptism for him, and he was there with a lot of people, and that was the point that was revealed, that, hey, this is the Son of God. Maybe we should pay attention to him, especially when the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on his shoulder like a dove, and then you hear a mighty voice saying, this is my beloved Son, whom I want, please. You go, whoa, I better pay attention. Something's, something's different here. This isn't normal by any definition of standard. And so we pay attention to that. And they pay attention to that. Now, what's odd is that this came up again this week too. And this is on my heart because, uh, gosh, I saw it a long time ago, where the news, there was a, a news thing, and this lady said, well, yeah, God's separating the goats and the sheep. <laughs> and then she goes, and she says that she's a goat. And I, like, part of me died inside, because if I was the pastor, I would be mortified. Because you need to know that you're sheep. You're not goats in this. But this passage highlights exactly, remember, this is James, Jesus' brother. I, like, it sure seems like, even though James wasn't a believer, he was listening to his brother pretty frequently. Because this matches identically what this entire section says about you know, serving people and, you know, taking care of other people. Again, service. So it's Matthew chapter 25, and it's verse 31 to 46. And so it's kind of long, but it's profitable and important, especially because we're not sugarcoating anything. This that I'm about to read to you is called the final judgment. And it's going to happen. So Matthew 25, 31 to 46. So when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats He will place on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, then, he will say to those on his left, 
depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Therefore, as we've been given our faith in Christ, and Christ came to serve, our faith in Christ naturally leads us to serve by helping to fulfill others' needs through love. Very simply. In all of its glory. God's great love has been poured into us and it shines through us. The songs we sang this morning talked about that. And it's the absolute truth. And much like Take My Life, it's, you know, use me well, Lord. I was baptized 10 years ago this month. 35 years, 3 months, and 3 days old. And I remember praying very specifically, use me well. That was it. Nothing more, nothing less. Don't make me a hero. Don't make me anything. Just use me well. And I think he has. I hope he has. Who knows? But praise the Lord. Who knows? Who knows? I don't. I try not to think about it too much. Because I'm an evil, prideful beast. <laughs> as, as well as we all are at different times. But seeing this, that certainly this life in Christ, it, it changes people. First and foremost, and because our Lord came to serve, it's going to be a natural expression of you to serve other people. And if we still have issues in our hearts and our minds of prejudice and racism and things of that nature, I would anticipate them to die within and very quickly because there is no room for that in God's kingdom whatsoever. So we go to the second point. And this is a real dividing line. And I didn't want to call this point this because I don't know that it necessarily falls into this category because it's show me. Show me, show me, show me. But the thing about this is, is that there is absolutely no way to show your faith apart from how you live your life. There is no way to show your faith apart from how you live your life. And this is the truth, and it's the reality. If Jesus means something to you, you will talk about Jesus. Just like in our regular relationships, I used this analogy last week, you know, I really love my wife. I don't live with her, and I don't talk to her. But I really love her. That doesn't jive. That doesn't gel. There's no way that that makes any type of logical sense to anybody. So if you really love Jesus, you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to spend time with Jesus. You're going to hang out with people that know Jesus. Plain and simple. 
However, in this, what's interesting about this, and as we read this, even the demons believe. Now, we talk about belief, we talk about faith, and we talk about trust, and we talk about it being actionable. So, in verse 18 specifically, he says, you have faith and I have works. This is a, a, a diatribe, is the fancy name for it. It's a conversation essentially that he's having with himself, trying to refute an argument that may or may not appear. Because remember, this is to 12 tribes. This is generalizations. This isn't like, hey, you in Genoa, I know you're doing this improper thing. Let me show you how to correct this improper thing. No, these are broad swaths, if you will, in general, because it's going out to a big, diverse population that they have. And so this diatribe is trying to combat an argument before it even happens. And so that's what this verse, first verse, the first half of the verse says. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now, again, we get that word works. And it's not works of the law, it's deeds. It's life led, it's life lived. And so, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's kind of the linchpin to this, in a sense. Because it is impossible, and, and I've tried thinking about this many times this week and in a lot of ways, how does someone show their faith without any type of action involved with it? Do any of you have any idea? I've been, I've really, seriously, I can't think of it. And I don't think, obviously that might be the right answer here, right? That there isn't one and I can't think of it. But if any of you can think of one, that would be great. But I also don't think that, that you could possibly think of one in, in this. And so, show me. That's what he's ultimately saying. Show me. Show me. See. I want to see. So, show me your faith. Show me what you believe without leading your life a different way. And so, while we talk about this, certainly in the context of Jesus, and, you know, religion, if you will, to some degree. Um, this certainly can be translated to a lot of different things. If you didn't have, you know, belief in your family, you probably wouldn't hang out with your family, or hang out with your family, or create a family, things of that nature. Uh, if you didn't love your spouse, again, like faith without works, show me, show me that you love your spouse. Like, you can't do that without action. There's no way, humanly way possible, to show faith without action. And so, I will show you my faith by my works. I don't even need, like, here's the, the beauty of this, and I've used this example in a while, uh, for a while, like, you know, just meeting people. Like, why are you so nice? Why are you so different? What's, what's different about you? Why? You know, you're always smiling, you're always happy, you're always friendly, you're always kind. Like, and I didn't talk to him about Jesus. <laughs> I'm just being me because of who Christ and who I realize who I am in light of who Christ is. And so they picked up on that to some degree. And so 
I'm like, yeah, actually I'm a pastor. And they're like, whoa, because everybody, you know, has a different opinion about pastors. Some people, some people get real like, I'm very religious. I'm really a religious, I promise. And they're like, okay, great, hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. You know, they get all nervous as if I'm this this judge, jury, and executioner that is going to just beat on them and pound on them once they once, once you really I am the pastor. Like that's that's again not my motif and that's not the games that I care to play by any stretch of the imagination. And so my faith, my love, my joy, my peace, my patience, my kindness, my goodness, my faithfulness, my gentleness, and the ability to actually have self-control in this world are because of my faith in Christ. And all of those can be seen in action. I don't need to say, hey, I love Jesus, turn and burn. And, and, and intimidate people by any means. That, that doesn't, again, it isn't profitable. It doesn't make a ton of sense. But the love that I show people, the care that I show people, the fact I care about this community, the fact we do, you know, the Thanksgiving in order to build fellowship, the fact we do the backpack drive in order to meet needs in the community, the fact we do prayer walks. Like, there's so many things that we do that the old era is like, what are you doing this for? You could be sitting on your butt watching TV. But no, the new era is like, these are the right things to do, and they're going to be fun. And even if there's trials involved, I can count it all joy because I know I'm being sanctified. I know I'm growing in Christ. I know I'm growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And above all, I know my Lord loves me, and He saved me, and He's called me to a new life. And to live is Christ, and to die is gain when I'm with God. So tying that back into service and seeing, but I spent a long time on this, and I do want to bring this up too. In Philippians chapter two, verse five to eight, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, remember the lady with the, the that was bleeding, she just touched his robe. The other guys that had faith say Jesus was fully God and fully man that he was here. And so he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So I ask you, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? How much? A lot. And in fact, that's why. I took that from Hebrews chapter 9. You may or may not remember that. But in Hebrews chapter 9, that was the big thing, is that none of the religion purified the conscience of the believer. All of religion says to do, but the glory of God, the glory of Jesus in the gospel says done. And the willingness 
for the human to be transformed through trials and tribulations and acts of service and dying to self and living for Christ. So, verse 18, again, it's that dry tribe, but it's deeds of righteousness are not the same as works of the law. And so, this is our fundamental problem with a lot of people, is that they know of God, but they don't know God. They don't have that covenant relationship. Have you ever had the opportunity to evangelize to someone and they pretty much shut you down immediately and they're like, yeah, I know Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Great. And then they're, they flip you off on the way away. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that beautiful experience, but, but I have. Uh, and, and so it's, again, fascinating, but at the same time, everybody knows of Jesus, but not everybody knows Jesus and has entered into that covenant relationship with God, because that's exactly what it is, and that's what we talked about in Hebrews, was that covenant type of relationship, amongst many other things, of course, but that was an important aspect of it as well as the reason Jesus had to do what he did is to enact a way that the conscience of the believer, the heart, can be purified, can be changed, if you will. And so, he did. So, a point to consider in this, though, is that even the demons know God is real. Don't they? Other people heard of Jesus. Maybe they don't know God's real. I don't know how you can. Like, the Bible does explain it too, but I remember living in darkness and honestly just not caring about the world around me as much as you know I do now, for sure. But uh, what can be known about God is plain to see in all the things that have been made. Is life an accident or is there intelligent design? When I look at human beings, I'm like, yeah, they are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist explains. When I look at the trees, when I look at the birds of the air, and the fish in the sea, and all the creepy crawling things, and the beasts in the field, and all the life that's on this planet, I'm like, wow. Either this is the most amazing accident that has ever happened in ever, or there's intelligent design here. And our God is a God of love, because that's the only reason I can see that the world exists. Because there's no like, yeah, we're going to do something great. No, we're all sinners and we're all bent to our own way and we all hurt each other and we're destroying the planet and we're doing a good job of it. The only reason the world exists is because of God's love. There's nothing that we do other than destroy. Like, yes, hopefully we do love the Lord our God and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. But that requires a massive transformational truth change in Christ and a difference of seeing the world differently. Because you've all been raised by culture and society, and it's all led you astray to your own life. So we have to relearn these things, which is why Jesus you know, has that conversation with Nicodemus. You must be born again, but born again of the Spirit. And I remember those were hard times. The first couple of years, so I was like, this is all surreal. This isn't real. I was led to be felt very stupid most of the time because, well, I didn't know anything spiritual. 35 years I lived in darkness. 
before being told it's this marvelous light. And then after I was told it was marvelous light, it's like, well, now i got to learn life all over again. Boy, that's easier said than done. <laughs> so to learn everything all over again, it just takes time. And let us never be naive enough, because I think some people are like, yeah, I've heard the gospel. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to do whatever. But let us never be naive enough to think we know everything, because we don't. There's no way you can. It is impossible. It's humanly impossible. Your brain can't. There is so much to know. So, even the demons know that God's real. So they know of God, but who do they love and who do they serve? That's the telltale sign in this and in this section. So, faith is actionable. That is part of this point. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, which you can't. We've established this. It, it, it is impossible. I cannot think of a way. And I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you that Jesus has a major impact in my life just by what I do. Even if I don't talk about Jesus, I can show people the faith that I have in the Lord by the actions that I do. And so, that is part of that personally knowing God and that covenant commitment and that new life in Christ. Both the first point and the second point go to this. Deeds naturally demonstrate a new life in Christ. They naturally do. <coughs> he brings up the conversation of Abraham. Abraham, forefather of faith, patriarch, led in scriptures, constantly talked about, the apostle Paul talks about him, James talks about him, I'm pretty sure John talks about him, Genesis talks about him, because that's where God first established his covenant with him. And so Abraham is everywhere, if you will. And the reason why Abraham is so important is because God has always worked on faith. Many people think about Especially when you see the word works, works of the law, as a way to try to appease God or a way to try to earn my own righteousness. And those works of the law, if you've read the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, you'll see that they don't ever keep them. And they can't keep them. They're too holy for a human being to keep. Now, because justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac to the altar. Very quickly, um, actually, let me go back a different way. The, the, the word that we're looking at is erga. This works, if you will. And, any, and this might make it a lot more sense. When we say the word work, or if we say the word task, it's involved under the umbrella of employment or who you work for. The Bible says you either work for self or you work for God. So, in our works, are they works of self, like the demons? Because they believe, they know God's real. There's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. But, you see no fruit in their lives. People that are missing. 
right? People that we've seen. And it's a sad reality. But it also means a deed, or just very simply, an action. So erga is a deed or an action that carries out and completes an inner desire or purpose. So work, erga, is a deed or action that carries out and completes an inner desire or purpose. What do we have dwelling within us? God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Do you think the Holy Spirit gives inner desires of God's will? Absolutely it does. That's the reason why I'm able to host people and give away all that I have. To go from a guy that's like, I don't want mooches in my house, <laughs> to a guy that's like, here, take this. Just take it. You're welcome to it. You're welcome to have it. Let me buy you Bibles. This is great. Let's do it. <laughs> Very different. But God's inner desire working through me. So, Erga, which is translated here as work, again, is a deed or an action that carries out or completes an inner desire or purpose. And that's what we see. This section, too, also reminds me greatly of Hebrews 11 when we talked about that. And just how faith is actionable. And in fact, I took this from the section. Uh, this was just from the third point when we did Hebrews 11. It might have been the fourth point that week. But God's people tested, offered, received, acted, considered, raised, received, backed, invoked, blessed, bowed, worshipped, mentioned, direct, hid, saw. They weren't afraid. They grew up and matured. They refused. They were called. They were chosen. They were mistreated. They enjoyed. They considered. They looked to the future with hope and reward. They left nations. They traveled. They endured. They believed. They kept. They sprinkled. They touched. They crossed over, they drowned, they fell down, they encircled, they did not perish. They were given things and they were welcome. And who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness. Faith is action. God's people... All of redemptive history shows that when God works within your life, it's actionable. Why did they do these things? Again, it is by faith, trust, belief, in response to who God is and His promises. It's all in response to who God is and His promises. That's why they did these things. That's why we I do the things that I do. That's why you do the things that you do. I'm sad for a lot of people that I don't see very often. I really wish they knew Jesus. And it, it, it hurts. But deeds naturally demonstrate a new life in Christ. And so, while I haven't gone verse by verse, and I've just generally swabbed all of this because it is huge swaths, like huge paint strokes, if you will. Because we can dig down 
and analyze so many things on so many different levels as we go. But ultimately, there is a new life in Christ. I hope that those that haven't embrace it. It took me a long time to embrace it because it was surreal and it was countercultural and it required a lot of humility. And as a, a, a proud male, humility doesn't come easy. <laughs> it's always a challenge. Still deal with it on a daily basis, you know? So in all of this, you see that a person is justified. You see, this is the point. Not like, oh, like they acknowledge that they're justified by faith and works. But here's the thing, people tangibly see. People need to see that people are different in Christ. The unfortunately awful thing is that religion has destroyed because there's a lot of people that talk about Jesus and then when they leave Sunday afternoon it's off to the bars, Monday afternoon it's off to wherever, Tuesdays it's verbal abuse day, Wednesdays it's physical abuse day, Thursdays it's thievery day, Friday, like there's a lot of things that we know we ought not to do that people who say that they know Jesus continue to do. That's not the case. Like, yes, we will stumble, but we will not fall. And even though we may stumble, we will not dwell in it either. There's going to be a change. I encourage you and remind you of these changes, and that these changes in life are going to happen for those that are in Christ. It is a transformational change, and it is a radical change. It's not something that anyone can do on their own. This is why faith has to come from God. By grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And why is it a gift of God? Because human beings would boast otherwise if they did it themselves. But now, because it's given by faith, by God's grace, is unrelenting mercy on our lives, not giving us the punishment that we so rightly deserve, that we find ourselves in these positions of change and of grace and of love and of mercy because we've seen and experienced it. We've tasted and seen that he's good. So these are inseparable concepts. I want to tell you too, I've been working uh, on this because I think it's important and I think it's long past due that we need it, but I'm working on a church life covenant. And that church life covenant, A, states who you are as a redeemed human being in light of Christ. And then, what does it mean to be a church member? And I'm pointing to scripture constantly. Because you don't want Eric's way and Eric's design. You want the truth. You want God's truth for this. And so I've asked some brothers to add, put their input in it, but however it turns out, it's going to happen. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because being in Christ and being a church member is just as inseparable as faith without works is inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. 
your works don't declare your faith in the sense of works of the law. Your faith results in works because of God's great love that's been poured into us. And we don't follow the, the, the law of uh, legalism. We follow the law of love. And so it changes us. Faith in Jesus changes life. I don't know how else to put it. And I keep kind of dancing in this circle as we're trying to land this plane. This plane doesn't Christian. Hello, is there a pilot? <laughs> no, but faith in Jesus certainly changes lives. And there is a new life in Christ. And these deeds of righteousness done by faith and faith in and of itself are inseparable concepts in our new life in Christ. It's the same as to say, I am a Christian, but I don't like the church. You can't do that. They're inseparable. You cannot separate these concepts. And so I hope we continue to grow together. I hope we continue to love together. I hope we continue to be transformed together. I hope we can hold each other up as we continue to possibly stumble. But always remind ourselves that it is the Lord's purpose that we're here. It's the Lord's will on our lives to change them. It is God's choice to pick us. And who are we to choose who we pick? This is kind of last week's sermon. But there's no partiality. God has chosen. God has changed. God has done. We need to learn how to work together. We need to learn how to deal with one another. And we need to embrace the fact that Jesus is working in our lives. And that when trials come, because they will come, because we're all sinners bent on our own way, it's inevitable, like death and taxes, uh, that we need to learn how to reconcile. We need to learn how to work together. We need to learn how to communicate effectively and not just brush one another off. This is, much like what I said at the beginning of this, this is the reality of life. This isn't something nice to have, in my opinion, which is why I'm bringing in all those other things, too. Like, I don't want to say my heart is hardening, but my heart is strengthening in the sense that these are the right ways. We need to adhere to these ways, not out of law, but out of love. And we need to certainly be all on the same page regarding these topics and these issues because I see a lot of differences between each of us. And then there's all the different backgrounds too and all the, the silly religiousness that we've all grown up with at different times that again, you have to unlearn because you've been born again by the Spirit and so you have to learn God's right way. And so there was a part in my life where I was like a little upset, like God, I didn't grow up in the faith or anywhere near the faith, and now you want me to do all these things and so on and so forth. And I was a little upset because I'm like, I have no background whatsoever, but praise the Lord that I didn't have a background. Because this way I can just go full bore into God's truth the right way as it was, as opposed to learning man-made laws and creeds and all the stuff that you get out of the different denominations and purposes and so on. Man, brothers and sisters, just praise the Lord that Jesus changes lives and that he's called you to a new life. And it's today and tomorrow and forever. And so we love the Lord Jesus. We continue to love the Lord Jesus. And 
you see that faith without works is dead because it's an inseparable concept. That is exactly what happens. Your life is led by your belief system, right? And so if you do believe in Christ, it's going to change. If you don't believe in Christ, then your belief system and your hope are found in politics. Then your belief system and your hope are found on family values. And can I tell you how messed up those things are? <laughs> Beyond repair almost. Uh, society keeps, it's only getting worse when Jesus comes back. So. I love you guys, and I hope this certainly wasn't offensive, but it, it needs to be offensive at the same time, especially for those that aren't here, because there's no reason you can't be other than you've needed a reason to not be So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, uh, we love you and we stand in your truth, and it's certainly hard uh, to talk about these things, and I certainly don't want to place judgments on anyone or anything, but Lord, your truth speaks volumes, and I know that you change lives. And so Lord, just keep working with those that are in our hearts and our minds as we're being convicted by people that we know and love that, that say things, but their actions dictate otherwise. And so Lord Jesus, uh, just again, continue sanctifying us by the Holy Spirit, continue to allow us to do deeds of righteousness for your glory and ultimately our good, and just keep us protected. Uh, by your unmerited favor and your grace. And Lord, just continue to pour that mighty, mighty, amazing love into us because that's why I'm able to get up in the morning. I know that's why a lot of us are. And so, Lord Jesus, you are everything. You are the meaning for life and the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. So we give you all the praise and all the thanksgiving because you've chosen us to be a part of your kingdom, your adopted sons and daughters, from today through eternity, for your glory and ultimately our good. It's not something we've earned or deserved or done, it's just something that you have freely given, and so I can do nothing but thank you. And so use us well, we love you, it's in your name we pray, amen.